Welcome to the Health and Wealth Power Hour, the podcast provides you with the knowledge and insights you need to achieve physical, mental, and financial well-being. I'm your host, Arlen Pickett, a business consultant who's passionate about helping people achieve a more balanced and healthier life. Each week, we'll deep dive into topics related to health and wealth, including retirement income planning, innovative healthcare solutions, alternative funded health plans, and specific actions individuals and business owners can take to gain control of their finances, have access to affordable quality health care, and achieve peace of mind. We'll also be joined by innovative experts who will share their knowledge and insights on prevalent topics. So, whether you're looking to grow your wealth or improve your health, you've come to the right place. Get ready to be informed, inspired, and empowered. Let's get started. All right, and welcome to another edition of the Health and Wealth Power Hour. As you guys may have noticed over the years, we go in all kind of different directions. Uh, Everything really has to do with your health and wealth, so we kind of like to bring you some very entertaining stories, some very entertaining folks, not just always about the same industry and not always just about the same subjects, but it's always great whenever I connect with someone who has a heart for the Lord who has a heart for helping people, and in this case, a heart for helping children. He's had an incredible career, a Grammy winner, a producer on many, many songs and albums that you've heard of, and we're going to talk today. We are blessed to have Mr. Bill Nash. He's also got an incredible book called Saint, Center and Singer that is out. Uh, you guys are going to be blown away today by the stories you get to hear and, and also uh, a little touch of what his life has been like. Bill, thank you for joining with us, buddy. Hey, it's an honor, Harlan. Always a pleasure to be around with you, pal. Thanks for having me on your show. Yeah, you are very, very welcome. I'll tell you one of the more interesting things is a lot of times before we start one of these shows, we have a little conversation, kind of see which direction we're going to go. We almost took up half our show time just talking about just talking about stories and things going on. Man, you you got you got some great great stories to tell, Bill. And so I hope you can share uh, some of these great things with our listeners today. I'll tell you what I want to start out with though. Uh, I want to start out with your book, and I want to start out with your book because I think that'll give people a little bit of a taste of why you are so uh, just so involved and and so entrenched in helping these kids at champions kids camp, which is really what your focus is now. I know you've had a huge, uh, you know, very successful career out in the music business, but I'd really like to hear about your book, why you wrote that book and give us a little taste of what's inside. Well, I actually wrote the book after they kept after me, and I say that lovingly. I appreciate it, but I've got some close fans and friends that have been around with me for a long time, and Paul, and I'm an old guy, man, and you know what? I'm not ashamed of it at all. I'm, I'm going to be 79 years old this next birthday, which is in a month. I think it's two days from your son's birthday. Tell him happy birthday in advance for me. But uh, the, th- the thing is, um, I started singing when I was 10 years old with my mom and my brother in my daddy's church down in far Texas. I don't know if you're familiar with Texas enough to know where the valley is. That's what they call it, the Rio Grande Valley. And I'm from a little town called Far. It's between Allen and Brownsville. Most people know where Brownsville is because of Fort Brown. And, uh, you know, during the war, you got to have in, in what you call it, in placements there and stuff like that. 
but I come from uh, a Spanish-English background. My dad and mom were missionaries when I was five years old, and the book talks about a shack that we lived in. We talk about America being so prosperous and this and that, and here are my dad and mom and four children, and I'm at about six, five or six years old. We're living in a shack with no power, no water, no air, and it's if you don't if you know the valley at all, it's a very fertile type of region, and they that's why they are so successful growing fruit trees, fruit, and uh, and they have cotton. Cotton is a great crop for them down there. So we lived at the edge of a cotton field near a, uh, they they had dug a well to do irrigation and had a pump on it. Well, for example, when we wanted to take a shower, since we had no indoor bathroom, we go out and my dad rigged a, a water hose, a garden hose up to that pump somehow. I don't know how he did it, but he strung it up over the edge of the house where we go and turn the pump. We go pump the water and go run under the hose and get wet and then lather up and then go pump again and come back and rinse off. That's what we had to do. We had an Pardon the word, our house. Yes, we did. It had spiders and everything in it, man. My poor little mama, I don't know how she did it, with two babies and a five and six, and my brother was four years older than me, so he remembered a lot of this stuff. But, I, I mean, I remember having just uh, a dozen tortillas one night for dinner. That's all we had. Now, the babies had baby food. Somehow, Dad was able to get that. But we lived in America, man, and, and I thank God every morning. When I come in my office and I look at my walls, I'm looking over where I have pictures with these people, with Larry Gatlin, a boyhood friend. There's Carl Perkins over there who wrote Blue Suede Shoes. I went to Hollywood with him to be on that NBC television show, Hot Summer Nights. There's A.J. Foyt, the great racer from Texas, who is our national spokesperson. And his race team is still now our national spokesperson since he's retired. There's the great Eddie Arnold. Do you remember that song, Make the World Go Away? Yes, well, he cut two of my songs. I'm on two different RCA albums by him, and I've got an autographed picture from him. I used to see him quite often in Nashville. There's Roger Clemens over there. There's Johnny Cash's youngest sister. I did a, I sang on an album with her. We're great friends. I've opened for Johnny and June Carter at the Columbia Records Parade of Stars at the Grand Ole Opry two times. I'm so thankful and proud of that. But, man, I, th I look at that, and I say, Father God, how did you bring me? from a cotton field with wearing hand-me-down clothes from church. Some church in the north set what they call a rummage box full of old jeans, old, old clothes, old shirts, old that. That's how we had to live. We had no money. And I never, I remember feeling so, the reason we do it, Champions Kids Camp, we, we provide those children with whatever clothing they do not have when they come to my camp because I do not want one child to feel like I felt when I went to the first grade, my pants did not fit me because they weren't mine. They were hand-me-downs. They were, they had this wrong with them and that, but I had to wear them. And I thought I was so humiliated. And gosh, can you imagine? I didn't get to start school till I was seven. And um, so it was like, I'm around these other kids and they all have something I didn't. And it was real demeaning to me in a way, but God has provided over the years, and the, to tell you that just only, uh, see, how old would I have been? Eight years later, we got discovered in New York City by Gene Raymond, the host of the match game. <clears throat> Sorry about the cough. The host of the match game. And we ended up on Columbia Records 
the Nash family trio rocked. And there we are, another album. The next year, the Perry Como's producer produced our first album. Listen, God only uses the best. Perry Como's one of the greatest singers of all time. And there was his his producer, Ernie Altshuler. There's your little uh, spicy name. Ernie Altshuler, great producer in New York. My mother played piano. It's the first gospel group to have other instrumentation with them. And my my the second album, though, they sent us to Nashville. They said, Johnny Cash's producer, Don Law, will be better for you all. That's how we met Marty Robbins and Lefty Frizzell and little Jimmy Dickens. Boy, he is such a colorful character. And I'm way off of what you asked me to question. But as I'm, I'm going around my wall and going chronologically, that's where I came from. So I know what it's like to be, as Paul said in the Bible, I know what it's like to be abased. And now I know what it's like to be to abound. And what I want to share with Champions Kids Camp is the abound part. All of our kids that come to Champions Kids Camp are survivors of an accident, an illness like cancer, or a personal loss, the loss of mom, dad, sister, brother. And I, over the last, we have been in existence now. This is our 23rd year. And they told me, it will probably last a year or two. And that's it. Well, the reason it is still there is because it's based on Jesus Christ. It's based on the love of Jesus Christ. And he loves us all. Harlan, he even loves you and me. Can you believe that? Every single day, I'm amazed <laughs> that he loves me, no matter what no matter what I do. And I fail him every single day, don't you know? Yes, sir. Well, we're all, we're all human. The Bible says he knows our frame. He remembers we're dust, the 103rd Psalm. And I just thank God every day for the what brought this book well the reason i wrote the book i think that was your original question was because i wanted the world to know about champions kids camp basically so we based it on my life and where i came from i'm not just somebody writing a book to make money that was not it at all this is a long range the rest of my life uh adventure and when people see how great god can be if you'll give him a chance in your life how much he loves you Here's the example. I took my our little boy, Billy, was two and a half, and he kept getting sick and getting sick. And the bubble gum medicine, the, my, my audience will know if they have a child, they're going to get prescribed the pink bubble gum medicine, just about for every little thing that goes wrong. But after a while, the doctor said, <clears throat> you need to go to a specialist. And we did. And he said, he's got leukemia. He's got a 50-50 chance to live. So we go to Texas Children's, and they confirmed that. And they gave us one shot of chemo and sent us home to come back in 10 days to start the protocol. But in that 10-day period, my wife and I held hands in that hospital room, Harlan, and we said, Jesus, if you'll heal my son, our son, we will we will tell it everywhere we sing the rest of our lives. And knowing we can't make a deal with God, Harlan, you know, people try their best, but it's it's with God, it's all yes and amen. And and I don't know the answers to all the questions exactly why my son was so healed, but he was instantly healed. And we got back to Texas Children's, they took all the blood work again and they came back with the great news and we were we went from agony to ecstasy. You know, you remember that ad on TV, that guy that was in agony, and then he was, you know, the ecstasy thing, people that win. But that day was such a milestone in my life and I, I wanted everybody to know that Jesus loves them and still heals. And I wanted them to have faith and, and pray by faith. 
So in the back of the book, it has all kind of pictures of Champions Kids Camp and a lot of stories of the little kids that have come to us with their story and then how God has taken that and rebuilt their lives almost instantly when they see that we love them. You know the old saying, they don't care how much you know till they know how much you care. That's a great saying, man. And our our motto is to help them get past what they'll never get over. I don't think you would ever. Here's one of the traumas. A little boy, his name was Maddox, heard a gunshot midnight, ran outside because that's where he heard the gunshot. And there was his dad in the front yard who had just committed suicide. Now, how does an eight-year-old unsee that? Right. He can't. He wow. can't. So that's my point. Help him get past that point to go back to school to get his grades back up and to get his life back on track, help him get past what he'll never get over. So, and he will, and they do. And we have so many people to ask about our impact. We have so many people that are now grown up that came to us at eight years old and they've graduated college and they come back to be, uh, they are volunteers to help with the kids because they can look at an eight-year-old that's coming into camp for the first time and see themselves, and they know how that kid's feeling. Oh, my gosh, it's just so great to, to see these grown-up now kids, some of them married, some of them with their own families, and there they are at Champions Kids Camp. Once again, in the summertime, we've spent a whole week. It's because that camp costs so much. When we had over 203 kids this past July at Carolina Creek Christian Camp up near Huntsville, which you know very well where Huntsville is, sir. I know you do. And it was uh, every year it has its own different dynamics and, and great breakthroughs and all kind of stuff. And I just thank God that he allowed me and forgave me of all my sins. You know, I got to college and learned how to drink beer. And from that, it led to a lot of debauchery and several major record labels and all kind of stuff. And I got away from God and I, I used to pray every night for God to forgive me. You know, I come home from the nightclubs where we I was touring with my band. But it was a prayer like this, Harlan. Oh, Lord, please forgive me. And, I, you know, here I am thinking, I know I'm going to do this again tomorrow night. Is he merciful enough to forgive me? And I thought I thought he had left me, but he never did. And there's, there's reasons in my life, I can tell you, looking back, it's hindsight sometimes. It is 2020. And um, so I know that the Lord never left me and brought me back to Jesus Christ when I met my wife, Kim. And we had these kids and this great experience of my son's healing. I have a younger son, too, Jimmy Nash. Y'all look for him, JimmyNash.com. He's a singer-songwriter. He's doing great things with BMI. He's already had a couple of songs that have several million uh, streams. And uh, on and on, interestingly enough, he was raised on the floor of all the studios in Nashville because we had moved there in uh, 1988. <clears throat> and uh he, his first song that he had any acclaim over was by the Purple Disco Machine. It was a disco song. Which, <laughs> it's just music, Harlan. I can't explain the music business. You know, uh, why? Why do? Uh, what about the traveling Wils, Wilburys? You know, you, you got Tom Petty, you got Paul McCartney, and then who else you got? So, I think there's a country act in there. I'm not sure, but what a great group! Just music, man. It's the universal language. I thank God for giving me a voice that he gave me that I've been singing all my life, and I can plan to continue to do it, and we're doing some new projects, 
as we go. We'll talk about them if you want to. So let me give you a chance to get a, a, a word in here, man. I've talked on my stuff. Hey, you know, one of the uh, the things that someone who does radio, podcasts, and such always are concerned about is having a guest that doesn't that you have to keep prompting because they won't say anything. I didn't have that problem today. There, that's that's one of the things I can move. I can I don't have to to worry about that. I can check the the box there that says Bill has no problem speaking. No no prompting. No, no, I, and I do appreciate that. I'll tell you, if I, I have had guests. Uh, particularly when we, when we did radio, because you know we did the the show on uh, the radio here for a couple of years, and yeah. it is interesting to me, and I'm sure you've seen it even in music, how terrifying a microphone can be. Yeah, they they just lock up, right? People just all of a sudden see the microphone, or you say, "Hey, we're live," and all of a sudden that's it, right? They just shut down. They have no yeah, idea well, what to do next. <laughs> in the recording studio, when you rehearse it, you know you sing the line. And the producer in the control room, and well, the way this happens now, my wife and my son Jimmy would be in there, and I'm singing the lead part. And I'm supposed to sing, and and on the rehearsal side, ha, ah, perfect, let's do it, put it down. The red light comes on, and it you go ah ah ah. I don't know what that is. Hey, I got to tell you my favorite story. Do we have time for me to tell you my favorite story about uh, interviews? Okay, so um. Uh, I was on Capitol Records, and I did a tour up uh, from Hollywood uh, all the way around to Philadelphia to WCAU Channel Channel Ten in Philadelphia. So I am uh, I am the co-host with the uh, the governor's wife, the governor of New Jersey, uh, Betty Hughes. Her name was Hughes. <coughs> Richard Hughes was governor of New Jersey. So Betty Hughes show, and I get the job of interviewing. And I can't think of her name, Harlan. Maybe we can think of it before the podcast's over. But she's the gal that had the hit, The Girl from Ipanema. You remember that song? Tall and young and lovely, the girl from Ipanema goes walking and when she's walking, something in it, you know, ah, man. So it's such a great song. And her husband was there. Listen, she was a classy, high-class Spanish woman. And her husband, you could just see world-class all over these people so she becomes my my guest and the television cameras are all right bill you're on with man i think you could probably google and find out her name she was such a sweet lady but soft-spoken and not very verbose how do you like that college word she was not real talkative so i said um it must be a great thing to have a hit like this yes that was her answer. Yes. Uh, uh, how long had you known your producer? Long time. Uh, <laughs> and so you know where I'm going. I'm doing like you've had to do at times with a guest. Uh, let me what else do I think, man? And because of my, I have a, a degree in radio TV from the University of Houston. And so they had taught me how to interview. And luckily, I had 10 questions down that I went through in about two minutes. <laughs> It was like the only answers were yes, no. It's exciting to travel around the world and sing this song. Yeah. What, what, do, what do you think about that? It's great. Uh, thank you very much for coming on the show. Uh, we're going to pass, pass the uh, camera back now to Betty Hughes. Thank you, Betty, for having me as your co-host. That was it. <laughs> I was thinking you think of that. You freeze up on, on, uh, on it. That's how it happens. 
No, it, it absolutely is. And I think one of the funniest parts of that is it's sometimes it's people that you wouldn't expect like that. I mean, this is an artist, right? So this yeah. is someone who is used to performing, you would think, or is used to recording. And yeah. I think that's one of the funniest things is that I've had people such as that come to be on the show. And, you know, I spend the first part of the thing just trying to calm them down. Yeah. Yeah. Just let them open up. Yeah. And, and up. It, it is interesting because you can't do that. You You can't, I can't, and I didn't even ask you a yes or no, but somehow you found a way to answer yes or no to a not yes or no question. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, can, can you tell me all about this? Yes. Yes. <laughs> oh, okay. So go ahead. Huh? Go ahead. The, the, I, right, I gotta, that would be good. You ever hear of a guy named Jimmy Durante? You ever heard of that famous vaudeville act and the snars they called him? Well, he was on our show. I was. This was 1970, so I'm living in Philly, and I'm doing this show, and, and he comes to town to be on our television show. And, well, we had some big stars, Jerry Lewis. They all had different things that they brought to the, the table, but it was an early morning show. It was at 9 o'clock in the morning. Well, for those kind of people just like me, man, that's, you know, that's the middle of our night. You know, we see we ain't, we're not, and I use the word ain't, we ain't quite plugged in yet, you know. But Mr. Durante he got he got there that morning. He had a comedy comic guy with him who opened the shows for him, and he was trying to help get him famous. Well, the comic guy I can't remember his name, and you'd be I'd be better served not to, because this guy because he was traveling with the great Jimmy Durante, he took on that mon uh, aura himself or the mantra of that of what Jimmy's deal was. But he was so he was such a big star in his mind that when I went to consult with him, like you and I did early on to see what we're going to talk about and this and that, and, and I, I, you know, good thing, I'll I just, I just call him. I'm not sure what name to call him, but I said, well, tell me a little bit about yourself. It's in my bio, man. Uh, and I said, uh, uh, you don't have a copy of my bio? Uh, well, no, they didn't give me one. Uh well, let me ask you this, and I'd ask him another question. Listen, it's in my bio, man. And he kind of, he was just so, such a big star already in his mind, you know. What is that? I'm a legend in my own mind. Legend that's in my own mind, yeah. That's it. And, you know, we never heard of him again. But the greatest, Jimmy Durante, when he walked in that room, we had a studio audience of about 100 people. And they stood to their feet instantly and clapped and clapped for him just for the years he'd been in show business and the movies he had done. And he was so uh, uh, he, just so uh, great, gracious and so uh, humble. I just loved the guy. And he, my mother had flown up there from Houston and was staying with me and played piano for the warm-up. If you've ever been to a TV show like that, they do a warm-up, and they have the people that are seating and trying to keep them calm while they wait for the show to start. And Mama would play the old songs, especially with Jimmy Durante. I learned all those, what they used to call gay 90s songs. They probably have them a different name now, but they all from the 1890s, you know, and uh, J Jimmy Durante loved my mom and I singing together. He said, in such a beautiful family, I love the way you and your mama sing. You know, he had that kind of voice. I'm trying to imitate him. Yeah. I did a first job. Maybe I might edit that one out. I don't know. But, man, but, and Jerry Lewis, 
I can't, I'm not even going to tell you about Jerry Lewis because uh, America loves him and always has, and he's really brought the world a great thing when he would do the, where he's saying, you'll never walk along alone every year. That, uh, what did they call that benefit he used to do on, t- it was a telethon for like oh, a 24 yeah, yeah, yeah. And a lot of my friends were on it. Mickey Gilly was on it. Uh, Johnny, uh, Johnny Lee, uh, gosh, a lot of different friends that, uh, Mickey and Johnny, they're from Houston around here, and they're both great friends of mine. Mickey Gilly, by the way, uh, is on the back of my book. He, I asked him for a – I'll show it to you. You can see it. You, The audience won't be able to see it, but there it is. And he said, he said, uh, man, I'm trying to see this Liberty print. I met Mr. Bill Nash in the 60s playing at the Bawana Club in Pasadena, Texas. <laughs> I was impressed by his performance as a singer-entertainer. At the time, we were all struggling in the music business. He is one of my best friends and still a great entertainer, Mickey Gilly. So uh, I'll make sure you get a copy of this book because Mama Dodie Osteen is on the back as well. Joel Osteen's mother, she's our spiritual mom. She prays for us every day. Reba McIntyre, who we wrote a big hit for called They Asked About You. You can Google it. It's been played 1,017,842 times across this world. And Miss Reba sent us a note. It's on there. I'm not going to read it to you. It's it's in the book. And oh, this is on the book. And then Larry Gatlin, though, you want to hear Larry's quote? He's always got a a, a comedic uh, thing to his when he talks. He says, "I'm 68 years old. I've been listening to Bill Nash sing for 58 of those 68 years. I've never heard him sing a bad note. I've never even heard him sing a good note. And I said, what?" Bill Nash only sings great notes. Oh, you made a good point, Larry. He is a great guy and an old and dear friend. He has a big heart full of love for his fellow man. I love my friend Bill Nash. P.S. Almost forgot. He's also a great songwriter. P.P.S. His beautiful wife, Kim, is even better at all of the above than he is. Larry Gatlin. <laughs> there you go. All right. Thank you, Larry Gatlin. Yeah, that was very good. Yeah, I'm... Uh... I'm a, I'm certainly a fan of the the Gatlin Larry Gatlin the Gatlin brothers great music I've got quite a bit of their music uh, on my my playlist as it were yeah you know uh, when when I was uh, I guess I would have been about twelve or thirteen we were the stars at that gospel singing thing that you know we my mother used to drag my brother out of every one of those that's how we met the Gatlin family there was Mom Gatlin and she had uh, Rudy and Steve and Larry. And they were there, and their little sister was there, too. And I can almost think of her name. She's a real sweetheart, I can tell you. So Larry used to follow me around at those conventions. You know how you got the younger boy admiring his hero becomes the older teenage boy, teenage, I'm almost teenage. And he he said, you sure do sing good. And I said, well, thank you, Larry. And that was, you know, in the prepubescent stage. So one day... I mean, uh, years and years later, we're both going to the University of Houston, and I didn't even know Larry was going to U of H, and I was a junior, and he was a freshman. He uh, had a a scholarship on the football team, by the way. This kid could play, man. He's not only greatly talented singing and songwriting, he's a good athlete, great golfer as well. So uh, I'm walking across campus to the student union building one day, just come out of it, and this this good-looking young man stops me, and he says, Hey, Bill, do you remember me? 
And I looked in his eyes as best I could. And man, Harlan, we hadn't seen each other since since I was 12. And by that time, I'm 20-something. And I said, man, I, I'm sorry. I just can't. He said, I'm Larry Gatlin. Uh, and, but he remembered me. And I, it's kind of like uh, he told somebody somewhere, I think. I'm not sure if this is even a true story. But I was told that he admired my singing. And I was one of his mentors, me and Roger McDuff of the, of the McDuff family singers. Roger McDuff and his brothers were the greatest gospel singers I'd ever heard in my life and still are. But that's how Larry and I met. And, you know, he still comes to Houston to do the. He, he comes in to do benefits for me for Champions Kids Camp. He uh, he's helped me get some other stars, friends of his that that come in. And it's been a, a great blessing to have a friend like that over all these years. I gonna see him when I when he comes to town, he'll come to town here in Houston to the Main Street crossing out in Tomball. And I, I usually head out that way when he's picking. He calls me up to sing with him. We And I never know what he's going to ask me to sing. It depends, you know. One night it's gospel, next night it's country, you know, whatever. It's always fun. It's great. Yeah, you, uh, before uh, the show, we talked a little bit about the fact that you are a Grammy Award winner. And I think the story <laughs> of how you became a Grammy Award winner is kind of interesting. Uh, a song with Diamond Rio. But it yep. wasn't the initial release of that song. So tell everyone a little bit about that story. Well, the song came out. Diamond Rio had it on their Greatest Hits Volume 2 uh, uh, RCA uh, album. I believe RCA is the mother label, and I forget what what uh, uh, sister label they, they had them on. But they put it on their Greatest Hits album, which is a, already uh, – that's a cut above a regular album because the Greatest Hits albums come out the rest of their lives. Like Reba McIntyre, we're on her Greatest Hits Volume 2 uh, MCA Records album, which has sold 11.5 million now. So uh, we wrote this song. We were looking for a patriotic song for a project we were doing. And uh, Kimberly is the one, my wife, she said, well, look at our dollar bill. It says, In God We Trust. Because we were kicking around titles like One Nation Under God. So the, there's a lot of different phrases uh, and I'm, I'm trying to think of what they all are. And I, I can only remember one nation under God. You know, I've heard of, I've heard songs around that title. But Kimberly said, I could write if we put the word still in God, we still trust. She uh, inserted the word still in our in the words that are printed on all our money still. And I just pray every day. Oh, God, don't let them take God off of our money. I rebuke those people who are trying to take God out of America. Unbelievable. We'll get too political if I go down that field. So in God, we still trust. And we started writing on it. And before I could get a, a word in edgewise, as they say, she had the first verse written. Wait a minute. And then she passed it by me. That's how we, we've worked all of our music. You know, whoever gets the idea, and it was her idea, then Okay, well, I oh, I like those. Okay, that set of words is good. Well, there's a ear, this and that. You know, that's where you change the wording. And uh, as a, a great songwriter friend of mine in Nashville said, you got to wrestle a song to the ground. And they're saying that the hit song is not your first rendering of it. It's about the third one. Time you time you edit it and change a word here and change a word there. And I, I had a friend say, well, uh, I was talking to him about a word of a song. He said, well, it's just one word. Well, what if the word is yes instead of no, or no instead of yes? It's only one word. 
But did you know that famous song, let me go, let me go, let me go. The original word was devil. And they, when they recorded that, I think it was Rosemary Clooney recorded it. And, and they said, why don't you sing lover instead of devil? I think you'd get more mileage out. Oh, wait, that's a good idea. Let me go, let me go, let me go, lover. Well, yeah, it, you know, see, it makes sense in retrospect. So that's just the idea of continuing. So Kim and I continued and she would write, man, she, she wrote a, a great first verse. It's a, it's a history lesson. When our founding fathers bravely formed this nation, they spoke of him, meaning God, and they spoke of him as our creator when they wrote their declaration. He was there from the beginning. That's how we, we've come this far. Our faith in him throughout our history made us who we are. Man, that's exactly right. There's so many miraculous things that have happened in World War I and World War II, and then, you know, these crazy other wars that we never win, that many of our precious soldiers are killed. It's such a travesty, and I hate war. I hate it. One day we'll be in heaven. We won't have war. Well, we're going to study war no more, man. So that's how we, we came up with the song, and... Uh, of course, I have a I have more input, you know, on the tune and and this and that, and we did it together. We made a demo of it. it be, well, it was actually we re really recorded it for our own project. We were this may interest you. I don't know. We were going to sing for a convention in Indianapolis, Indiana, and we go through Nashville and we we stopped and called our great friend Mr. Ray Pillow, who just passed away recently, but he was on the Grand Ole Opry for fifty two years, and became a great friend of ours and uh we had lunch with him at uh, at a restaurant where they served hot chicken that was the thing in nashville that was the rage one year hot chicken and um if i could think of that beautiful gal's name that owned that restaurant she was a star on the ground on opry and uh anyway so I'll, I'll skip that part but i gave ray a copy of the cd and i said man i want you to listen to this song because i really feel like it's got something special so um, we leave to get in our cars, and he takes off in front of me, and I come up a bit behind him. And just as he's circling to take the loop back into Nashville, I'm heading more toward Indianapolis, and he starts honking and waving out the window. And I thought something was wrong, but we, you know, he had no car phones at that time. So I kept on going, and he did. And pretty soon he calls me and said, "Bill." This song, it is great. It's not just good. It's great. I'm going to I'm gonna pitch it. Pitch it? You're going to pitch for us? What's that going to cost? Well, you split publishing if they get the cut. So he takes Marty Rowe of the group Diamond Rio to the Waffle House. I mean, you see it on television where they come in the office and they're in suits and ties and they play this song. No, heck no, they're going to go play golf that morning, and they went to the Waffle House to begin with to eat waffles and drink coffee, and they get back in Ray's car to head out to uh, Ockerland, where they had the new Ockerland golf course, which we lived just down the street from there when we lived in Nashville, and he so he gets in the car and puts the CD on, and he said, Marty Rowe, just kind of was looking down at the floor and had his hand hit in his hands. Everybody listens in a different way when they're listening to songs they're being pitched. Some people shut their eyes and turn their chair around. Some just sit there and blank stare. You can't tell, but they're in their own world and they're listening to a song. 
and some of them turn it off. I pitch songs to producers, big time guys. They listen to one line and turn it off. Turn it off. Nope. What else you got? Uh, well, here you know you got to be ready. So Marty he Marty didn't say a word. He's got his head in his hands. He's got his face down toward the floorboard of the car. And when the song finishes, he still stays in that position. And Ray Pillow goes, well, well, Marty, what do you think? He's like, I want to know what you think of a song that I think is great. And he said, he said, do you think it's any good? Ray says to Marty, he, he looks up at him and he says, no, it's great. Wow. So the story goes, they cut the song. And man, it it was it was a phenomenon. They introduced it actually in Las Vegas, but when they came back to the Grand Ole Opry and they played it for the first time on the Opry, I have video of it. They the at the beginning, in the middle of the first verse, when people realized what they were saying, they started standing all over the Opry House. By the time they hit that second verse, the whole Opry audience was on their feet. And when they got through, they were screaming and hollering and clapping. It made me think of Hank Williams the first time he sang on the Opry. He sang Long Gone Lonesome Blues and got nine curtain calls, man. I, I, the boys, the Diamond Rio, didn't think they were ever going to quit clapping. But there's, you know, when you write a song like that, it's become the uh, number one most requested song by the military. And we love it. It's also been voted in the top five greatest uh, patriotic songs of all time. So God put us in some great things. So here's the deal. Now, the Grammy committee has come out with a new edict this past. Uh, it's, it's, it's actually longer ago than I uh, than I can remember. But it's been the last couple of years. And they decided finally, after all these years, that if you got to if you're a songwriter and you have a song on a, a Grammy award winning album, you also get a Grammy. Well, duh, what would the artist sing without the songwriter? You know? I mean, you have some great writers like Vince Gill or Larry Gatlin. They write their own stuff. But uh, Vince is not above singing someone else's song if it comes up to his standards and it's on and on. But, man, when they got, they got a Grammy, they actually, on their second uh, recording of the song, which is never done, it's another first to happen for us, they recorded it on RCA. Then the next year, they moved to Word Records, which is the largest uh, Christian label in the world. And they put a new album out, and it's called The Reason. Well, The Reason won a Grammy, a Dove, and Album of the Year. So that's how we've come about a Grammy, because we now qualify for a Grammy. We won't get the medal, but uh, we do get the honor. And I'm thankful to God for... Man, what can you say? God gave us a song by Reba that's that. I just told you how many plays they have. And we have big certificates from BMI, Broadcast Music, Inc., to commemorate the sale of the play of more than a million songs. And then we got the Grammy. It's like, come on, Lord, you're laying it out on us at this age and stage of my life. And my belief is for the cause of these children that God is raising our level of visibility to the world so that we can raise the funds to build our own kids' camp right here in Houston, probably uh, in the outskirts somewhere, where we can have a, a conference center that we can also lease out and rent out to people to, to make money to keep the camp up and to pay for things for kids. 
But I, that's a dream we have. And if, if it's God's will, it'll happen. I, I never want to go ahead of what God has in store. But if it is his, uh, if it is his plan, it will happen. And we're there to, to say yes to whatever he wants us to do. And in your book, near, I guess, near the back, you actually have in mind a, not a complete architectural drawing, but you do have kind of a layout of what you have in mind for your camp. So it, it's not just a, oh, it'd be nice to have a camp. You have gone through the process of putting together more or less a rendition, I guess. Yeah, a, some a sketches. Rendition of the of what you have conceptually for this. And yes. while it would certainly be for Champions Kids Camp, your thought process is for other potential camps, Christian camps, to be able to use this facility as well, correct? Yes, that's exactly right. You're, you're very perceptive, sir. That's good. And also, I picture a music venue on that property, and I'm not sure, you know, I played in, uh, when the, the guy, my band and I were down in, uh, we were down in Florida, Miami Beach, at the Americana Hotel. It's a fabulous hotel. And, you know, we were in high cotton, you know what I mean? A bunch, bunch of country boys out there on the beach and picking and grinning at night. But they had a theater that uh, during the week when the crowds would be less than half, they had walls that came up around the edges of it, and it became a smaller nightclub. It would seat about 300. But on the weekends, man, they opened that thing up, and they could seat a couple of thousand people. Oh. It's like, man. So that's that's my my uh, my thought is that, it, you know, I pray about it all. Lord, tell me what to build, because you're going to have to have somewhere. Because it might even end up where we have a place for people to worship that don't have a church and don't feel comfortable going to a church. Because me, as a near alcoholic, back from my days, I never got to that final level. But there was a time when I could hardly take a bite of food without already having some a few drinks of alcohol to, I guess, to calm me down. I don't really know what that is, but I'm a preacher's kid, and I knew about Jesus Christ and his sacrifice on the cross for me and the blood he shed for my sins. Now, I can't even understand how I myself got so far away from God when I was traveling and picking and grinning. I'm singing in nightclubs, though, and, I mean, you know, that's the purpose of people come in and have drinks, and they do this and that. And I met a lot of great people in the clubs, and, man, you know, a lot of those are churchgoers and it, they're not all alcoholics, unbelievably so. You know, the, the, some, when as a kid, I was painted it. Everybody that goes in there is an alcoholic. That's just not true. That's just not true. There are those that are not, uh, that don't overdo what they're doing. They're not, they don't overeat. They don't overdrink. And they're, they're, they just want to have a nice time and have a celebration of, of things going on. And I was always a fun, a fun guy. I was a happy drunk, you know, if you want to know what I mean, but. I didn't think I drank till uh, the second show in my my career. I just felt that way about it, and I had even even in those days when you say I'd I'd straight away. I still love kids so much that uh, and my show was clean. I never cursed in my show on purpose, and we had people that would bring their children to my show. And uh, if, if I could share one experience with you, yeah. I'd love to about it. So this. Uh, this particular night, it's my second show, and it's, I don't know how to tell you, it was a beautiful showroom here in Houston, and it was packed. God had blessed me with my career, and we were always sold out on weekends, you know, 
So I walked out and I did, I always did a, a hot opener. You know, I love to do those really hot songs and then a mid-tempo and like country roads. And then you do a ballad like he ain't heavy. He's my brother, something like that. So I turned around for that particular minute. I put my banjo on. So I'm going to own up to the crowd though. When you say my banjo, as if I'm a real banjo player, I'm not. Somebody showed me how to tune it like a guitar. The first, you know, if the if you did a four string banjo, you you can you can have an E B I forget a G E B G. Uh, then the next uh, is another E I believe something like that, and you can play it just like you play a guitar. Well, I like that because I like the sound of a banjo. I put it on and I strummed down a da da dum dum da dum dum dum, and I was going to sing Rocky Top. Oh, I wish I were up on a Rocky Top, and as I'm strumming down. Guess what came out? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a rich like me. And tears, and they're doing it now. Tears started coming out of my eyes, and I'm looking at the audience, and I and I'm in I'm on stun. The Bible said he would never leave me nor forsake me. That night he made a statement. I'm not gone. I'm here. And I said to the crowd, oh, I can't sing that in here. And guess what they said? Sing it. Oh, please sing it. They hadn't heard it in so many years. Just like me. I was hungry for God and didn't know it. There's an empty God hole right in the middle of us. It can only be filled with God. Unbelievable. I am so popular this morning. <laughs> Unbelievable that that came over me. Well, what I found out later from Mama Doty Osteen at Lakewood, because after our, my son Billy was healed of leukemia, we were looking for a church and we discovered Lakewood. We sat in the back of the church trying not to be noticed because I was pretty popular around town. I don't mean that braggadociously, but I spent a lot of years here and I had a lot of fans. Houston's huge. And somebody sent a note up to Brother John Osteen. Bill Nash is here. So he, he said, I see a note. Bill Nash said, will you stand up, please? Oh, man, I was trying to hide. But I no longer hide. I was in the back, and I stood up, and he said, I want to see you after service. Oh, uh, what? I don't even know the Osteens. What's up with that? So we sat down. The church is over. And Kim and I made our way. Well, see, we still, uh, we were staying as far away from people as we could because Billy was in remission. They, they, the doctors, when we said it was a miracle, he was healed instantly because their blood work showed it. But they said, we can't call it that. It's instant remission, remission. And you have to stay in our program for three years, or we have to report you to Children's Protective Services and they can come. Yeah, true. They can come and take your child away from you in your home if you don't stay in their program. So we did. My my wife cut that uh, that medication down, chemotherapy down to one-eighth of what they, were supposed, they wanted to give him. Even at that, it was so ravaging. And those of us in your audience, I know there's people that have survived cancer out there that know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Poor little boy with his hair coming out and his gums bleeding and all this. Oh, my God, what an awful experience. And I admire anybody who has gone through that and come through victoriously. And, and I'm, I'm proud of you and proud for you. 
So back to the Osteen. So we make our way back to uh, Brother John's office. They escorted us back there. And Mama Doty says, she took the conversation over. Bill, I've been praying for you for three years, and now you're here. I can't believe it myself. And I said, how? She said, your aunt, who was a pastor's wife as well. I, have, I come from a long line of preachers. And one of them said to Mama Doty when they were speaking at a place together, please pray for my nephew, Bill Nash. He's called to the ministry when he was five years old. There's a dream in my book I talk about. I was I had a vision from God. And I and I and, and she said, please pray for him because he needs to come back to God. And she knew I was deep into alcohol and, and all kind of stuff that alcohol leads you to. You make some stupid decisions. I got married and divorced, blah, blah, blah. And, and it was because I was a terrible husband. I was still, music was number one to me and and a wife was second. You can't do that, buddy. I'm, I'm living proof. But I, I realized at the time she's talking about starting to pray for me was the night that I sang Amazing Grace to that nightclub crowd. It's the same time frame. It's a God thing. It's like unbelievable, really. So what happened, though, back to the nightclub deal, I sang, I started singing Amazing Grace. People were crying all over the place. They were raising their hands. Some of them were praising God. Picture a nightclub at midnight, and everybody's kind of in the sauce. And that's going on. The Man, listen, God can show up anywhere he wants to. Anywhere, that's right. Anywhere. And, man, you know, then, I, then I, after I got through with that, I just... Strumming down, you know, then I started doing my sun glad morning. When this life is over, I'll fly away. And the band started playing it with me, and they got the, they were they were already standing. And they started singing along with me. And we ended up with Hank Williams uh, uh once like a blind man, I wandered along the I mean, we could have taken up an offering if it was so spiritual. <laughs> wow, what a neat experience, man. But you know what? They started asking for that then. People come to my show, are you going to do some gospel tonight? And it became a stalwart, a state, mainstay of my show to do gospel. And when I would take my, pick up my guitar to play, I said, well, we're going to do some gospel now. And they would, and that's the only church some of them got. And I, I don't doubt that God used those old gospel songs. I used to sing whatever I wanted to in that gospel section, man. And it was just so wonderful. I was fed from it myself because that was the only God I was getting. I wasn't going to church. And I remember my good friend Roy Head, who has passed on now, who had the song Treat Her Right. You remember that song? I do, yeah. Head, a great rock and roller from Houston, Texas. And he and I became great friends. We'd done shows together and on and on. And I told Roy, I said, I, I want you to go to I want you to go to Lakewood with me one time, man. I think they would love you there as a person. And, it, it, and uh, he said, man, Bill, the way he talked, you know, he had that old rock and roll with swag up to him. He said, man, Bill, if I walked in that church, the ceiling would fall in. <laughs> That's like, Roy, the Bible says, 
where where sin doth abound, grace greater abounds. I said, you can't you can't call that in. You're not the greatest sinner. Paul, but Paul, who was Saul, killed Christians before he became a Christian. You ask, look in the Bible what God forgave him of. God's mercy is way greater than our sin. I, I, and one time he called me, he, he would always call me and ask me for prayer for his wife, Carolyn. She had some health issues in those days. They were pretty significant because she almost they almost lost her. In fact, they told him to pull the plug and he refused. And she came back from that. And then uh, after he passed away, she would call me and ask me to pray for them. So I prayed all the time. And I go visit them. And I've been to Roy's house. And I pray for his little boy, Sundance. Sundance Head has done great in music. And I'm the first guy to record him, though. I'm his first producer, if you want to call it. I had a, a deal we were doing at one of the uh, studios here in Houston. Mr. Uh, uh, my producer was had. Let me, let me think. Uh, so we were doing a thing for the Exchange Clubs of America. And uh, we had R.C. Bannon coming in, who was married, married to Barbara Mandrell's sister, Louise. But he was a good friend of mine, and he flew in to be our star. But we, we did a song in advance of that to put out on radio called The Tiny Seed. If we all pull together, we can make the whole world better. When we give a tiny seed a second chance, there is nothing more fulfilling if your heart is only willing to help a child who's not old enough to ask. Well, I, you know, so I call Roy Head, and I call all my other friends. That <clears throat> they showed up. We did this session. There and Roy calls me back, says, Hey Bill, I gotta I, I'm uh, babysitting Sundance today. If Carolyn had to do something, can I bring him with me to the session? He was eight years old. And I said, Absolutely, bring your boy with you. So on this recording, I still have it. On the we all we have so many of, of my entertainer friends show up. We had to do them in quartets. Four guys, and they would all sing a different harmony part. This that's the only way to get everybody on this song. And the very last ones to, that sang that song to help a child who's not old enough to ask, well, that was Sundance and his daddy, Roy. We had uh, we had to get the microphone position because Roy, you know, he was just eight years old. And so his daddy's obviously much taller. So we got it down where you'll hear Sundance as a little boy singing to help, to help a child who's not old enough to ask. Uh, it, it was a great thing. I tell him about it once in a while. I'm very proud of him. He's, he won that. Uh, what did he win? Uh, Star Search or the, the Voice or some one of those big shows. Anyways, very proud of Sundance and his wife Misty. She's a great great partner to him. Very very cool. All right, so I'm going to give you guys a place where you can find Bill Nash. You can go out to his personal website, and that is bknash.com. B k n a s h dot com. Right there, you can actually buy the book. You can also get on the mailing list to get updates from Bill of what's going on. Uh, there's some videos there of some of his previous shows and uh, his uh, back when he was on the Huckabee show is also there. He was on with his wife, Kim. A lot of great information and photo gallery there. But where Bill really wants you to go is to championskidscamp.org. That's championskidscamp.org. Dot org. You can find all of the information about that organization. I'm sure there's also opportunities for both individuals and corporate sponsorships on that website. Is that correct, Bill? Yes, sir. We have we have quite a few uh, folks that that follow us, and we have a few corporations that make yearly donations to us. Thank God for it, because we have quite a 
a challenge raising that much money being a small charity like we are. We still, our children are so specifically need needful. And they're all, you know, this, it's not just like you can put it up and invite every kid in the church to come to our camp. Well, that's, that, that's a wonderful thing. Church camp is, but churches put those on and I'm, right. I'm all for that. But our camp is specifically for a child who has been through an accident and illness like cancer or a personal loss. He has survived those things. And now we call him a survivor and a, and a champion. He is no longer a, a victim. He's a champion. So the corporations, we've got a new thing, a project coming out. Harlan, on, uh, we did a video on this little light of mine. And you remember the old song, this little light of mine, I'm going to listen. Well, uh, I'll announce something on your show that I'm taking a great uh, risk in doing. And it's because you don't, you're not supposed to announce these kind of things. But you know what? I'm 79, going to be 79 in September, okay? And I'm thinking to myself, why not? Hey, I'm going to take my chances while I'm living and not regret it. But you're the first show that I'm going to announce this on. We did the video. We have the Cookie Joe dancers from Sugarland, Texas. Cookie Joe was Pat's, Patrick Swayze's dance partner. Patrick was the big star in the movie Ghost and many other. He's a huge star. Then we got the Fort Bend Boys Choir. And you can look at them online. I think it's FBBC, Fort Bend Boys Choir, dot, dot org, probably. Uh, they're very famous. They, they've been in existence 41 years. But the boys roll off as they lose their prepubescent voices. They're, these are all little boys that have are still have their little boy voice. And they've recorded, though, with Dolly Parton, w Willie Nelson, and Kenny Rogers. And they've toured Switzerland. They've done all those kind of things. So they're in the video singing with us, this little light of mine. Then we have a group from Sagemont Baptist Church. They're three teenage guys. They're about 17 now. They, there's two banjo players and one ukulele player. And, man, these guys are incredible players. So we gave them a shot. So a rising tide raises all ships, okay? And we're out at the park. We rented the whole Sugarland Town Square where the courthouse is. It's quite beautiful there. We had a bunch of folks from the uh, Exchange Club of Houston. That's a civic club that's been around longer than any of the others, by the way, longer than the Lions, Kiwanis, and all. But they're all great civic clubs. I hold, We sing for all of them. But the Exchange Club was in attendance that day. And we did this video on them in an eight-camera shoot. took us a while to get it edited. Sent it down to uh, a friend of mine. His wife happens to be on the Emmy Awards Committee. She votes on who gets an Emmy. She said, I want to I do a little bit of tweaking on that editing, and then I want to submit it for an Emmy Award. Whoa, I was thinking, it may not happen, Harlan. Welcome to show business. You never know if it's going to happen, if you're going to get that label deal, if you're going to have a hit record. It's such a, you have no idea, that's why you got to pay the price. That's why Kim and I moved to Nashville. That's why I dropped that cassette tape off at Reba McIntyre's office, as 5,000 other songwriters did. And God chose our song, in my opinion, for her to record and make the give us the honor that we've had with that. So pray for this little light of mine. It will come out soon. I'll be sure to let you know, Harlan, when it is. Maybe you'll consider playing it on, on your show and pray for to bless us with an Emmy Award with that thing. Would that be great? That would be awesome. Absolutely. Yes, sir. And let me tell you this. The Bible says 
that God never revokes his callings on you or his anointing. I am still called to sing and write. And that's what I'll do. If you read the story in the book, I'm not going to tell it to you because it's in the book about the vision, the dream I had of Jesus Christ and two angels and what, what the procedure was that morning, early, early morning, about five o'clock in the morning. I remember that. So I, I, I'm not running out of stuff, Harlan, but I, I don't know where you are in your time frame, but I'm here for whatever you want to do. All right. Well, I really do appreciate your time, Bill. And uh, I look forward to seeing you again. We usually get to see each other about once a month whenever we both attend the Fulshire Katy Area Chamber of Commerce meetings. So it's always uh, great to spend some time with you once a month. But I sure appreciate you taking time out of your week to spend uh, telling us some of these great stories, glorifying God with uh, the, the words that you had. Beautiful. Thank you so much for taking that time, Bill. One more thing, one more thing. Can I can I count one thing? October the 9th, October the 9th. In fact, if you'd like to come, I'd like you to be my guest, Harlan. We're going to have our annual golf tournament to benefit Champions Kids Camp, but this time we're going to be at at the Top Golf. Okay. And we're going to be at the Top Golf location on I-10 at Highway 6. And we're going to have Dan Pastorini, my the great quarterback for Love You Blue, the Houston Oilers. We got. Uh, we we also have Larry Durker, the great pitcher for the Houston Astros, who also was a manager for them for a while and was their air personality for a while. And and uh, and Kim and I will be there. We'll be bringing music and having fun. And Top Golf is a lot of fun with golf. It's it's more of a thing where you can bring your wife, you can bring your kids. It does cost everybody that comes though. So I think the fee is one hundred fifty bucks a piece. It's a donation. It's tax deductible to Champions Kids Camp. But it's going to be from 2 in the afternoon till 6.30. And at 5.30, we eat dinner. And we're going to be singing and picking and grinning and eating and having an auction as well. And I've got a guitar signed by the great John Rich. You know who John Rich of Big and Rich? I've got his signature on a, awesome. uh, a Fender guitar. Larry Gatlin's on there. And uh, also, there's one more star on there, and it's escaped my mind. But if... Uh, when I wake up tomorrow, I'll let you know. I can't remember what it is. <laughs> All friends of mine. All right. Hey, well, thank you very much, Bill. Once again, appreciate you being on there. Folks, yeah. go and check Bill Nash out if you want to know more, and you want to, especially if you want to order that book, go out to bknash.com, St. Center Singer. It's out right now. Uh, you can purchase it right there from the site. And then certainly go out and check out Champions Kids Camp dot org to keep up with all the events there uh, including if you want to know more about the golf tournament that will be indoors so rain or shine even Amen. hundred degree days and even if it happens in october you can get out of the heat and still play some golf Amen. Appreciate you being with us and folks don't forget uh tune in to health and wealth power hour every single week to get the latest episode uh, you can go out to hwpowerhour.com and subscribe, get it sent right to your inbox. And also don't forget, once a month, we have our LinkedIn audio room, our big event. It's coming up every single, uh, typically the last Tuesday of every month. Why does healthcare suck? We deep dive into what's going on in the healthcare world. Uh, this next opportunity, we're going to talk about folks with high deductible health plans and how that provides a barrier to them to actually seek real health care. 
when no one even has $500 in their savings account? How does a $5,000 deductible help you whatsoever? So appreciate y'all turning in, tuning in this week. Y'all have a super blessed week, and we'll catch you next time on the Health and Wealth Power Hour. We are out. <laughs>